The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Our headlines this hour. Stocks across Asia follow Wall Street lower as a drop in rate stokes fears about a slowdown in the global economy. China hints rare earths could be drawn into the trade war, while the US stops short of labelling Beijing a currency manipulator. Huawei files a motion to deem US security law unconstitutional, as the Chinese telecom giant's chief legal officer tells CNBC, Washington's move to blacklist the firm is a risky decision. The addition of Huawei to the entity list is a dangerous move because they have disregarded facts and evidence. It is speculation and political reasons. Based on speculation and political reasons without facts and evidence. Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron are split over who should next leave the European Commission, but EU leaders agree to pick candidates for Brussels' top jobs by their summit next month. We uh, put aside, the, let's say, uh, partisan interest and we uh, focus on the qualifications of the potential candidates. I think that we can reach uh, an agreement uh, uh, by the end of June. Investors stateside on Wall Street returning after a three-day break, Memorial Day holiday, taking the market action, uh, market out of action a previous session. But uh, the return to trade was not strong and investors really picking up on some of the trade rhetoric again as they closed up last week, for instance, and there was hope that a deal might be coming with China soon. But then as Trump spoke in Tokyo at the start of this week, he suggested while Beijing was ready to a deal, the United States is not ready. So that just uh, set a negative tone for markets. And you can see Wall Street uh, also leaning into fears around if this is a prolonged trade war, if there's no resolution soon, then could it also tank the US economy? Recession fears cropped up again. So across the board, the Dow down nine-tenths of a percent, uh, fall on the S&P 500 by eight-tenths. The Nasdaq slightly more contained. So tech stocks where you've seen more of a wobble of late, actually not falling as much as other parts of the market. Where you did see some deep breading by sector level was around the consumer staples level. That was one of the real laggards posting its worst trading day in 2019. But so far, if you look at the major indices, they're on pace for their worst month of this year. U.S. yields, let's just dive into that bond story that we're seeing. And uh, the tenure in particular, 2.24, you've seen a decline there on this level. Also on the uh, three-month T-bills, investors still looking at the inversion in the yield curve are concerned that whether this is a red flag warning about a looming recession. But uh, the levels we're seeing on the charts are very low levels. 19-month uh, low is what we've got now for that 10-year uh, Treasury yield. Let's get into the Asian markets. Uh, the early picture has been weak as we pick up on the Wall Street trade, particularly for Japanese stocks, and that is also the safety bid for the Japanese yen. 255 points lower for Japanese stocks. The rest of the region, we've got a slightly calmer view for Hong Kong and Shanghai, both just leaning into negative territory. There has been uh, increased rhetoric too from the Chinese today around rare earths, which we'll get into. Whether that could be used as a weapon to negotiate with the United States or to hit back, that has just been a point of discussion across the Asian region today. The Shenzhen trades higher by about a tenth of a percent. 
The opening calls, this is how Europe is setting up for the trading session. I was curious, one thing that was uh, noted in some of the commentary is that the European election result uh, has been somewhat negative for markets. The snap election, the turmoil in Austria, but I would beg to disagree. I wonder whether it's bigger factors like trade that are dominating the narrative, not necessarily the European politics. Uh, what we've got across the board is uh, red arrows. We are chasing red arrows for Italy in particular, triple digit down day anticipated in lockstep across the board after that Wall Street uh, chain. But uh, let me just open it up with that. I wonder whether you think the same. I didn't think European politics, other than Italy having a, a fight with uh, Brussels again over their budget, I don't think the rest of the noise that we, we had from the weekend is actually moving markets. I absolutely agree with you, Karen. And I don't think, you know what, I don't think rare earths are really the cause of this underlying scepticism we're now seeing in um, uh, high-risk assets. And let's pop up a chart here and let's just talk around this. So this is a chart um, that uh, I think Morgan Stanley have created. Morgan Stanley has now gone on recession watch. So I think that gives us an idea where they think we might be in the cycle. And this is what they've created to indicate where they think we are in the cycle. But I'm a little bit sceptical about this chart as well. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Cycles are incredibly difficult to predict. And I was trying to think about a useful metaphor that might explain to the non-financially literate just what cycles are actually like. And I thought about unicorns, but of course unicorns just don't exist at all. But we know the business cycle does. And then I thought of badgers because uh, Brock badgers. the Badger was a Great, great book that I enjoyed, right. written in 1941. Right. Little older than I am, just, but terrific story. But like the badger, badger. It, I, use your own uh, wildlife analogy, but in this country, the badger is rarely seen. It's rarely seen in public, except when it gets killed and then you see them by the side of the highway. Right. And so you know they exist, and you know they're out there somewhere in the undergrowth, but you only ever see them when they get killed by a vehicle. And it's a bit like the business cycle. We know it exists, it's really important, it does matter, but we rarely know where we are in the business cycle until we all get killed in the stock market. Because the business cycle then comes home to roost with... Um, deep consequences for companies and investors. And that's, I think, what's going on here. Morgan Stanley are effectively on Badger Watch. They just haven't called it that. Well, this is a grim way to start the day, isn't it? Talking about uh, roadkill effectively. But I think if you take a look at the Morgan Stanley comments, they're in lockstep with what the bond market is warning at this point, that the yield curve inversion that has been a feature of these markets. And you know, some are saying it's just all the meddling that central banks have done out there. And there's no uh, function that is being signaled at all by, by the bond markets at this point. But I think for me, it goes right back to the conversation we're having yesterday. Let's just start with trade again. What is the trade resolution going to look like? And is it going to be coming anytime soon? Because the longer this goes on, the more confidence is going to be sapped first at the business level, the manufacturing level, and then on Main Street. And there's been evidence to that side, definitely on the manufacturing numbers and to a little bit of an extent on the US retail numbers. So if the trade a decision is not coming, say, for another six months, and there's been some suggestions out there behind in back channels that it may take up to six months to get a deal now because the Chinese side are not willing to go down the path of enforcement, then is this a market and is it a business cycle that can withstand another six months of uncertainty? 
and I, I question whether it can because you may have that reset lower on growth numbers and therefore back to the Fed having to be more active in the market and Fed funds rates were suggesting two rate cuts this year. I mean, we were at one rate cut previously that not everyone bought into. Now we're at two on some of the assumptions. And yet, and yet, and yet, the problem is, is this actually just a mid-cycle slowdown? And we get reacceleration towards the end of the year. We had a guest in yesterday who said he's taken Europe off underweight, thinking about whether to go overweight, but currently neutral. Some of the data was a little bit better. Some of the French confidence numbers a little bit better. Some of the US PMIs have been unflattering which is why perhaps people are getting a little bit nervous about the level of interest rates and yields in the United States. But the problem is for investors who watch this market closely, they saw last October come and you had three months of very weak markets. And at that point, you'd have been having this conversation or we would have, we probably did. Oh, is this the end of the cycle? Have you now had the best of it? Is it time to move to the sidelines? Are yields going to stay low permanently here? And what happened? We had a reacceleration coming into the first quarter because the Fed pivoted and people changed their mind about how bad the cycle was performing. And that's the risk here, isn't right. it? So if you were a fund manager and you sold off into weaker markets, and failed to buy back into the stronger markets in Q1, you look like a real chump in terms of your performance If so you can't far. read the signposts, you certainly did. And you mentioned, didn't mention the other factor. I mean, as we wrapped up last year, there were enormous trade issues in the background. And what did we have? An extended period, a 90-day window, and stronger signalling from the White House that they could get a deal done with China. So the Fed cut, well, the Fed moved, and you also had the Trump reaction. So it was the two big factors that investors are concerned about, monetary policy and trade. This time round, if you get uh, more dovish comments from the Fed and you get some more positive rhetoric from the White House on trade, whether it's true or not, it might be enough to move markets. And that's what you have to watch out from the signposting. Yeah, but the trouble is we're still in a game of whack the pinata, aren't we? Let's face it. I mean, the uh, it, it's not quite as hostile enough to force both of these uh, countries to come to the table and yet it is angry enough to upset investor sentiment and that's what the rare earth story mm. is about here. Xi Jinping didn't say we are going to restrict access to rare earths. He went and visited a factory and said wouldn't it be a shame if there was a restriction on sales. But when it came to the US then citing China as a currency manipulator didn't happen. Right. They backed off which says to me we are not yet at the point where this is the full-blown real deal. I, I, I disagree with this because all the way along it's been, uh, you know, Trump is not going to push forward with these tariffs and, and what are we up to almost the final round of every single good that comes out of China about to be targeted with tariffs. So we've gone a long way on the tariffs. When it comes to the Chinese side, they've been uh, fairly moderate in terms of the reaction, just hitting back on the same number. But on rare earths, it wasn't just a random visit to a factory. It was the president going to a rare earth facility and with him in the backdrop, you, her, the vice premier who's been at the forefront of negotiations. So read into that what you will, but I think there is definitely a message about rare earths from China. Let's read a little bit more about rare earths then. China has hinted that using key rare earth exports as a tool in its ongoing trade spat with the United States, the news sent shares in several Chinese rare earth companies higher. Eunice has the report from Beijing.
Beijing is threatening to use its dominance in the rare earths industry as a weapon against the U.S. in the trade war. Rare earths minerals are used in a lot of different technology products, and China produced about 80 percent in 2018. Well, Beijing sent its veiled threat via the state media. Its top economic planner told CCTV, if anyone were to use products that are made with the rare earths that we export to curb the development of China, then the people of South Jiangxi province, where rare earths are mined, as well as all the rest of the Chinese people, would be unhappy. President Xi Jinping visited a rare earths facility from the same part of the country last week, initially raising speculation that China would use the minerals as a countermeasure. The editor for the Global Times newspaper was more explicit, tweeting that China is, quote, seriously considering restrictions on rare earth exports to the U.S. This morning, the paper said that the U.S. should have seen that China has the rare earths card and the official People's Daily posted an editorial saying, don't say we didn't warn you. Analysts say it'd be difficult, though, for China to pull the plug on the U.S. right away since the U.S.'s direct imports of rare earths are relatively small and other countries that would use the minerals in their products probably wouldn't be subject to any restrictions. Yunus Yun, CNBC Business News, Beijing. Just want to put this in context because it's not an area of the market we talk about a lot, but are hugely relevant to supply chain. And one consultant on the back of that visit last week from three consulting said China could shut down nearly every automobile computer, smartphone and aircraft assembly line outside of China if they decided to embargo these materials, which tells you how relevant it is with 80% of rare earths in China. Where else are the rare earths? Well, they're in Russia, uh, which is not overly friendly at any given time with the United States, uh, and Brazil. Uh, They're they're more uh, common than that. I mean, there is a facility in the United States, a mine in, in the United States that produces rare earths, but then sends them to China for processing. And that's the key here, because quite frankly, um, they are uh, quite ubiquitous around the world. If you're talking about cerium, or, uh, which is very common, I think it's the, what are we, the 25th most abundant element in the Earth's crust. Promethium, little more rare. But it seems to me the issue is just having the facility ready to go here, because the mining and the extraction is difficult and it's not environmentally friendly. It's toxic. And then when you come to the processing, it's even more environmentally unfriendly. So the point is, I think, what China mines about 70%, but they refine 80 to 90%. And if the United States wants to take back control of this particular sector, it will have to get back in the game of mining and processing which would be politically unacceptable. Well, you've got huge environmental consider- considerations to clear, and it creates toxic waste, the potential release of harmful mm-hmm. radioactive tailings. So getting that through an environmental agency in the United States might prove incredibly difficult, which is why you have a couple of major producers, the likes of China, Russia, and Brazil. So watch the space, I think, and, and whether China does proceed down that path. Well, the US Treasury Department said none of its major trading partners has met its criteria as a currency manipulator. But the department said it still has significant concerns over China's currency practices, adding that it will continue to monitor the country. In a statement, it called on Beijing to be more transparent over its exchange rates and reserve management goals. Germany, Ireland and Italy were also included on a list of nine countries the Treasury Department believes require close attention. It's fascinating that they put Italy on that list. yeah. From a uh, European perspective, right, when we've got all these issues kind of, with easily trying random. to get growth and chase growth. It's kind of random, given that we're talking about the euro, 
yes. effectively, right? Italy yes. does not have its own currency anymore. The, uh, the, 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 the Italians, like everybody else in the Eurozone, have thrown their hat into the Euro ring. Well, that's the problem when you start picking out European countries. Are they trying to target specific countries or are they trying to target Europe as a bloc? And what does it say about relations with Europe at, at this point? Because well, there's always a feeling out there that once we get past the China hurdle, mm. that the next target point, the next sort of point where trade will start to become an area of conflict will be with Europe. Mm. So picking out these countries around manipulation, particularly when we know they're not some of the stronger players yeah. in Europe. I mean, Ireland got itself out of a crisis, but Italy at any given day yes. has huge debt levels, uh, is in uh, conflict with, with Brussels over what type of spending pattern it should have to try and, and stimulate growth. Yet uh, the United States is saying, well, you know, you've got an unfair advantage here. Taxation, that's probably the one area where you could focus on Ireland, I guess that it's tax treatment of corporates, particularly yes. high-tech companies from the United States, may be something that irritates the Treasury and, uh, and the US government. But anyway, we will move on. We'll come back to this. Coming up on the programme, the search for Mr and Mrs Europe gets underway, but divisions are already laid bare in Brussels after EU leaders meet. We're going to talk about the battle for the top jobs in just a moment. And if you just can't get enough of Squawkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. European leaders have held their first round of talks on who should fill the top jobs in Brussels. The 28 national EU leaders agreed to pick candidates for the key roles at the European Commission by their next summit in June. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said the talks had been, quote, very productive and harmonious, despite opposition from her French counterpart Emmanuel Macron over who should next lead the European Commission. We didn't talk about specific names, and I also had a bilateral meeting with Emmanuel Macron, and it is well known that he doesn't support the Spitz and Kandidaten system, but we all have to accept the situation as it is. It is clear that the EPP is the strongest group in the parliament, but they don't have a majority on their own. Everyone will have to reconsider his position, but what matters is we preserve our ability to act. So let's get out to Sylvia, who has more from Brussels. Uh, so, Sylvia, this is fascinating because clearly the Germans believe in this process, the French apparently not. Who prevails? Well, the question is on the results. Uh, the answer is actually in the results of uh, the European elections. Because when you look at what uh, they showed last Sunday night, was a fragmented parliament. So now there are questions, the questions as to how the leaders should interpret these results. Because if you look at who got the majority of the seats, then yes, it's the centre-right party, it's the EPP that then should uh, appoint the next president of the European Commission. But if you look at their performance compared to the previous election back in 2014, they actually lost a lot of seats. And we saw a lot of um, support, extra support for the Liberal group, as well as for the Greens. So now the question is whether you should interpret these results as um, people preferring someone for the 
for the presidency of the European Commission from the centre-left or from the centre-right. And so these are the discussions that uh, the 28 leaders had here uh, last night in Brussels. I asked the Prime Minister of Spain yesterday as well whether we could expect an outcome, a compromise by next month. Let's take a listen. If we uh, put aside, uh, let's say, uh, partisan interest and we uh, focus on the qualifications of the potential candidates, I think that we can reach uh, an agreement uh, uh, by the end of June. Do you think that the ECB presidency should be treated differently and yes, perhaps decided absolutely. later? This, this is politics and the other is like more technical, no? I would favor separating the ECB decision from that. But again, uh, that's my opinion. I'm not sure about my colleagues. The priorities uh, remain the same. Climate change, the fight against climate change, growth, jobs, investments. We must respect the, the European Parliament and uh, choose uh, the, the next president of the European Commission among the Spitzen candidates. And we need uh, to lead uh, the European Commission someone who has a strong uh, uh, executive experience at a national and at a European level. A yes or no question. Do you want to become president of the European Council? No, not at all. So you heard from some of the heads of state in that clip saying that they would like to that the decision on who should be the next president of the European Central Bank this is also one of the jobs that is up for grabs, should be taken as a separate decision because this role is more technical, whereas the other, the other uh, roles are more political. And at the end of that clip, you also heard from Antonio Costa, the Portuguese prime minister. There have been some rumors that he could potentially replace Donald Tusk as head of the European Council, but he made it very clear that he does not want the job. But last night we also heard from Donald Tusk, the current president of the European Council, making it clear that when it comes to these top job decisions, at least two of these jobs should go to women. Let's take a listen. It's not only my aspiration to have a real gender balance uh, among the leaders, new leaders of our institutions. And uh, there was a very visible majority around the table determined like me on, on, on this and um, you are absolutely right gender balance means at least two uh, uh, two women uh, if it is possible we'll see but this is at least my plan and my also my personal ambition so what's going to happen next? Well, the president of the European Council, Donald Tusk, is going to have discussions with the European Parliament. Let's see if these discussions will actually lead to a compromise in the coming weeks. I will be discussing this topic, the negotiations between the Council and the European Parliament, in the coming minutes with Luis Garicano. He is one of the vice presidents of the Liberal Party, Alde Group. Sylvia, thank you very much for bringing us uh, that uh, fantastic coverage from Brussels. Just that strikes me that I wonder whether this is setting the tone for the future because what have you got? You start with the Germans saying we want our candidate, uh, EPP candidate, uh, this represents you know the main outing, yeah. the main vote, and this is the way it's always been done. This is the way it will be done this time round. 
but you've got others, the Liberals, shaking the, the, the um, House and saying, no, let's change it. Well, we don't want the process to play out like this. And it almost strikes me about the reform process in Brussels. We want changes and we're going to shake it to its core to make it happen. So the leadership might be somewhat symbolic this time around. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, it feels like less shaking and more a little just gentle stimulation because at the end of the day, the horse trading remains the same mm. here. The Germans want a German in a senior position. But I, th I get the impression now from Angela Merkel, she's a little agnostic about which of those roles it actually is here. Macron making a forceful case for um, reflecting the shift that we've seen in Parliament here. But I think ultimately that all the French want is a senior French representative here. So uh, plus de change, but, you know, but, but it, it, the more it's, it changes, the more it stays the but, same. But which one, you know, the head of the European Commission or the head of the ECB for the French? And I wonder whether, you know, we were saying, why is Merkel being so vocal on this issue? The issue of just putting on a bit of show, a bit of posturing here, and they really just want the ECB role. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.